You're listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Brony Peters. I've been living in lockdown for almost two months now, and sometimes it feels like a balancing act between having too much routine and not enough. In the beginning, I'd set myself all these goals for each day, like waking up early, exercising, learning a new skill, but a routine never seemed to stick. Drinking coffee in the morning is the only thing I've managed to do consistently. As hard as it's been to stick to any kind of routine during lockdown, I'm still glad to have the option to go on walks, exercise, and learn a new skill. I don't do these things every day, but it's nice to know that I can. Last month, Daniel found himself in hotel quarantine with far less ways to pass the time. But unlike me, Daniel did manage to make a routine stick. He set out to create an audio story every day of the two weeks he had spent in hotel quarantine. This week, we're sharing the stories from week one of Daniel's quarantine with you. And heads up, this episode contains a reference to racism in a historical document. Today is day one. Early this morning, a member of the Australian Defence Force helped me with my bags and escorted me to my room at the Stamford Plaza Hotel. Alright man, well cheers. I'll hope you're trying to enjoy your isolation. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Welcome back, I guess. <laughs> See cheers. See you later. But let's go back to the beginning of the story. It was about three months ago. I was in Japan and I was deciding whether I wanted to even try to come back to Australia. Three months was a long time in the COVID world. And many things could happen. Unexpected things. And not so unexpected ones. But then, the kind of unexpected did happen. After the Bondi cluster of COVID cases in June grew into double digits and started leaking into other states, the National Cabinet convened on July 2nd. And they made some big decisions. Australia finally has a roadmap out of the pandemic and all restrictions. The first step includes slashing overseas arrivals while the vaccination rollout ramps up. Half the number of arrivals meant that every flight from the 14th of July had about a 50% chance of getting cancelled. It was going to be a coin flip. My flight was on the 5th of August. I'd already given my notice at work and agreed to end the lease on my apartment. Every day, I would wake up and check whether Singapore Airlines had cancelled my flight. I tried getting positive updates from them, but as hard as I tried, I could never get a guarantee or a confirmation that my flight would go ahead. Not two weeks before. Not one week before. Two days before. The day uh, before, the brother has been cancelled. The day before. Mm-hmm. With one day to go, surely that meant my flight was going ahead. Yes, still on time, on schedule. Okay, great. Is it is, is it confirmed that I mean there's no chance of cancellation anymore? <laughs> but I don't know yet. But uh, maybe on schedule. Maybe on schedule. <laughs> 
so. Okay, that, that, that's the best you can do? <laughs> okay. As hard as I tried, I couldn't get them to crack. Okay, thank you very much. This is baggage ship. I checked two baggage to Sydney. And this is body bag from Singapore to Sydney and United to Singapore. I'd made it onto the flight to Singapore. The first leg. But that wasn't the hard part. There are many flights from Tokyo to Singapore every day. The hard part, the one that I wouldn't believe was real until my feet were on that plane, was the flight to Sydney. After eight hours of waiting in transit in Singapore, at around 1 a.m., exactly three months and four days after I first bought my flight, I managed to get on that plane. It was such a relief. And also a surprise. How many people are on the flight? Economy, there's only two. Only two. And in business? A Boeing 777ER can normally seat around 390 passengers. This one was seating five, with 14 flight attendants serving them. Knowing how many people are trying to get back to Australia, I couldn't help thinking what a waste this all was. But also, how incredibly lucky I was. And grateful. Today is day two. To help me tell today's story, here is Marina. Hello, Ma. Hola, hola, Tony. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Bien, aquí estamos viendo, estamos viendo el documental segundo de Hemdivida. Marina is my mom. We usually speak to each other in Spanish, which is a bit weird since it's neither of our first languages, nor is it the language we speak the best. For the purposes of this story, though, we're going to speak in English. I'm talking to my mom today because she has a very intimate connection with this topic, since today is my birthday. I know, birthday in quarantine, right? It's a bit weird. But I'm sure any birthday in 2021 is a bit weird. I wanted to talk to my mom because I wanted to see what she remembers about that day, the day I was born. Ah, it was summer. Uh, it was beginning of August, first week of August. It was very hot. I was very young. I was 22. I just finished university. I was already pregnant with you. And I was in Sarajevo, former Yugoslavia. That's my hometown. And uh, your dad, who was at that time studying in Germany, also finished his university year and his exams. And he came to be with me for your birth. I was feeling really well, and uh, you were born a bit early. At that time, probably the ultrasounds and all this technology was not that precise as it is now. And 
even though there were a few concerns that I might be premature, my mum seemed surprisingly casual, even on the morning I was born. We woke up and uh, we had our first coffee. Uh, I had a shower and I was feeling okay. You know those births that seem to go on for days, where mothers have to brave away in agony and slip in and out of consciousness, and you can hear them screaming from down the corridor. Now, imagine the opposite of that. And that's what my mom makes this sound like. There were another few women waiting, and a lot of them were just like in pain, having contractions and shouting and <laughs> screaming and so between, you know, breathing, trying to keep calm and so. And I didn't feel anything at all. Like I was just there and actually quite worried. Why is everyone shouting and why are they all screaming? And I, I have absolutely no pain. I'm not feeling anything. I, was, I, I started getting worried. Hear that? She was worried because she couldn't feel the pain of childbirth. Maybe she's like that character in Unbreakable. I've never actually seen that movie, but... I'm going to imagine that it's about a young Slavic woman who just sits there sipping coffee and doing Sudoku in the middle of the delivery room. Eventually, the contractions did come, but they didn't even last very long. After an hour or two, she was ready to give birth. There was no epidural, there was no anesthesia, nothing. They just cut me, I pushed a few times more, and you were there, out. They told me, it's quite small, but okay. Looks healthy. <laughs> it was a different time. In a country that was changing and would only a few years later devolve into violence and eventually civil war. But even with all that brewing in the air, and even though she was just 22 years old, barely out of uni, with an undersized baby with an alien-shaped head, life was good. The future was bright. We didn't have any problems at the time. We were still very young and without actually thinking much of what's going to happen. We were young and hopeful and uh, we didn't have much, but we, we didn't worry too much. We just had hope in the future, no? Today is day three. Apart from a nurse that comes to administer a COVID test at your door on days 2, 12, and 14, the only other contact you get with the outside world are food deliveries left at your doorstep. You'll hear a knock on the door. You must then wait for 30 seconds, put on your mask, then open the door and pick up the plastic bag on the floor, then close the door behind you. The hotel gives you three meals every day but you can also use food delivery services and order groceries online. Yesterday, though, something mysterious arrived at my doorstep. It wasn't a meal from the hotel, and I hadn't ordered anything myself. I opened the door, grabbed the bag, and had a peek inside. There was a six-pack of Heineken beer bottles. That's nice, but where did it come from? There was no note and no sign of who it was from. I instantly thought it must be my parents. It was my birthday, after all, and as far as I know, they're the only ones who knew where I was staying. 
Did did you order them for me for my birthday? No, we didn't. This no. time we didn't. No, this way no, we didn't. Uh -huh. Okay, so we really didn't. Okay, bueno. Muchas gracias. Enjoy the rest of enjoy the rest of your birthday. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, cuídate mucho. Okay, bye, ma. bye. Hello. Hello. Oh, That's my sister Esther. Quick question. Yeah. Did you happen to order me some beer? No. That's a good idea, but I didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. Let okay. Me I would I would have left it right. Let me know if you get to the bottom of it. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. All right. See ya. Have a good time. Bye. Jessica speaking. Hi, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Um, I just have a quick... I'm trying to solve a little mystery. I was wondering if you could help me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, by the way, I'm an audio producer and I've just got you on speakerphone and I'm just recording this. Is that all right? Um, okay. Okay. It's just... It's that, I was just wondering, basically, uh, yesterday there was a, uh, a six-pack of beer yeah. that was delivered to my door. Yes. Um, I didn't... I didn't request it, and I don't know who sent it. I'm just trying to find out. Okay, um, so this was yesterday, right? Yes. The reason I ask is because yesterday was my birthday. Could it have anything to do with that? Oh, happy birthday for yesterday, Daniel. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you had a good day. I know, obviously, you were in quarantine, but still. Um, I'm not too sure. It okay. could have been. like. Um, is that, is that a thing that's done normally? Sometimes, yeah. If someone does notify us that it's someone's birthday, then we will, out of generosity, um, give something from the house. Okay, that's very nice. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what, like, why it was beer? I mean, I, 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 like, what if I didn't drink beer? Then I'm not too sure. <laughs> what kind of beer did they send you anyway? It was a six-pack of Heineken. Heineken. All right, I can double-check um, and see if that was, like, a present kind of thing. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. I didn't hear back from Jessica. I started to wonder how they knew that I would appreciate some beer on my birthday. Did they, did they profile me just based on my general look as I passed through reception on the first day? Did I look like a beer drinker? Let's see. Male. 30s. Beard. Plaid shirt and jeans. Plain van sneakers. Yeah, sounds about right. I tried to think of who else I spoke to after arriving in quarantine. There was a brief phone call from a nurse. She asked me how I was feeling and whether I had any symptoms, any underlying health conditions, any allergies. She asked me if I smoked. She asked me if I drank. Could that be it? Really? The nurse? The nurse suggested I get a six-pack for my birthday? Today is day four. It turns out there was someone else who knew the hotel I was staying in. Hello? Hello? How are you? Pretty good. Dominating in the language game. 
What's a... That's my friend Ness. She had asked me about my hotel, but I didn't take note of it because she's a flight agent and had been helping people and businesses to deal with flights and border restrictions throughout the pandemic. I just figured she knew all the different quarantine hotels and just wanted to check if I got lucky and landed in a good one. First of all, thank you for the for the beers. Yeah, no worries at all. How how did you know how to send them? I guess first of all, I secretly messaged you in the guise of which hotel you were at, and then I called the hotel using my company's name, saying that I had to get in touch with you about something work related. Um, and then they actually tried to put me through to your room, and I hung up. And then I rang back and got someone else and said, um, are you accepting deliveries? And they said, yeah, yeah, that's no worries. And then I just put an order online. Nicely done. You know, you've got to try. First days in quarantine, not cool. I agree. Today is day five. And today is also Census Day here in Australia. A letter came to my door this morning from the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, reminding me to complete my census form today. The first question on the census is interesting because it asks about your current dwelling. And for me, that means this quarantine hotel. If historians and demographers from 100 years in the future ever look back at the data from this census, they will see that about 3,000 people, more than one in every 10,000 Australians, will be residing in a quarantine hotel on the date of the census. Except they won't really see that. They will just see that we were in a hotel, but they won't see the reason why. Because even though the census can tell us a lot of things about a country and its people, it doesn't tell nearly the whole story. I wonder what part of the story those future researchers will miss by looking at this census. So I decided to have a look at the census from 100 years ago, 1921, and find out what it had to tell me. There are the things you'd expect to see, like breakdowns by age, by birthplace, by religion, by education level. But then you can also find out how many hat makers there were in 1921 in South Australia. 52. How many taxidermists they had in Queensland. Two. And how many gunsmiths there were in New South Wales. 720. There's also an insane amount of detail about housing. You can find out the proportion of three-bedroom houses with walls made of concrete, or how many houses with tiled roofs also had walls made of wood. You can even find rental and property values, which just shows that Australia has always been obsessed with real estate. But the more you look through this jungle of granular information, the more you sift through page after page of it, the easier it is to overlook the one basic fact that's actually staring you in the face the whole time. Once you notice it, it's so obvious and damning and brutal that you can't even think about anything else. At the start of every section and subsection, throughout the documents, at the top of each page, under the heading, there is one short sentence that appears in brackets again and again and again. It reads, exclusive of full-blood aboriginals. Today is, what day is it? 
Day 6. Obviously, quarantine starts feeling like Groundhog Day after a while. There's the morning call from the nurse, checking if you're feeling any COVID symptoms. There's the knock on the door, the bag of food at your doorstep. And I'm only on my sixth day. What if quarantine just kept going? What if you had to do two lots of it? What if the full experience of a fortnight in quarantine just repeated and repeated and became its own Groundhog Day loop? Hello? Hello? That's Sean? Yes, Daniel. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Yeah, can't complain, mate. That's Sean Tara. He lives in a small town in Queensland called Chinchilla, and he works for an Australian mining company. I work in a, a mine called Siama, which is in Mali, which is West Africa. So it's just up from the Ivory Coast and down from Burkina Faso. Sean's work means that he's quite used to being away from home and staying in somewhat unusual places. Last year, he was away for more than six months before coming back to Australia and doing his first fortnight in quarantine. It wasn't too bad the first time around, and he even got to split his time between two different hotels in Queensland. After a few weeks at home, Sean flew back to Mali for another seven-week stint and then returned to do his quarantine in Adelaide. This time around, though, it was anything but easy. And I arrived in Adelaide on November the 2nd, which happened to be my birthday. A week on November the 9th, my father-in-law was airlifted from Texas, which is a little town on the Queensland-New South Wales border. He was taken by air to Toowoomba Base Hospital, so I was a week into my quarantine. And then the day I should have gotten home, he was transferred into ICU, and the following day he passed away. And then to make things worse, the day he was meant to leave, he found out that he would have to stay another 14 days. The staff had slipped a note under his door, and that was it. We had just had a note stuck on the door. Like, they didn't ring the rooms and tell us, you know, we found out about the out- outbreak of the hotel because I was watching the news and I was like, that's where I'm staying. That outbreak Sean is talking about at his hotel? You might have seen it on the news last year. Remember the pizza bar lockdown in Adelaide last November? when they thought a guest at the hotel had caught COVID from a pizza box, but it turned out a worker at the hotel was also working at the pizza place. That was Sean's hotel. And the funny thing is, the food had actually been a plus. The food in that hotel was sensational. Like, honestly, it was brilliant food. So Saturday night, there was a pizza from this local pizza place, which happened to be the pizza place that got tied up in it. Australia's farcical version of Pizzagate meant that Sean would be in quarantine for 28 days straight. And even then, he had to ask for an exemption from the Queensland government to get back home, which was not easy to get. As a true quarantine veteran, I asked Sean what he did to keep himself sane through it all. Yeah, I try and send messages to my kids. I mean, they're both adults, you know. Talk to my wife when I can. I used to bring jigsaws with me. I had to try and keep the mind busy and I got to roll out mat and so I've got the jigsaws down, you know. There's a virtual happy hour that starts at five o'clock to six o'clock, sometimes goes a bit longer. You know, for the hotel quarantine people, that's that's good to get onto and you're just chatting to people around the world that are doing exactly what you're doing. You know, and you're meeting people from around the world and you know, hearing their stories and you know, what they plan to do once they get out and all that sort of stuff, it's good. 
that's something to look forward to every day. Today is day seven. They say humans are the only animals that willingly deprive themselves of sleep. We are not like migratory birds who go without sleep on their long journeys across oceans and continents, or like mother killer whales who stay awake to care for their baby calves. Now we go without sleep for many other reasons. Sometimes it's as if we're in a constant battle against time and it feels like we can cheat a little if we just steal a couple of hours of waking life. Vladimir Nabokov considered sleep, quote, the most moronic fraternity in the world, with the heaviest dues and the crudest rituals, a nightly betrayal of reason, humanity, genius. End quote. I don't know. Maybe sleeplessness can work well for some musicians and novelists. Maybe it puts them in a state where their creativity can come out in bright, fluid bursts. But I don't think it works like that for narrative audio. If you don't get enough sleep, you just get sloppy with your work. And no one wants to hear that. So today's piece is not a story as such. It's more of an audio reminder to myself and to anyone else who's listening. To go to sleep. To come back another day. And start again. That story was produced by Daniel Simo. You can listen to all 14 days of Daniel's hotel quarantine stories at danielsimo.com forward slash 14 days. You've been listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Brony-Peters. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wandri, Woiwurrung and Boonarung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun. And our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma Pham is our social media producer. And our community and events coordinator is Lydia Yosefova. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at CBF. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. Thanks for listening.